I'll do more. Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. Welcome to the Heater Podcast, the off-season edition, and the laryngitis edition as we uh, make our way through that. Uh, this is Dan Lewick. He's Corey Peeper. As always, uh, Heater Podcast is brought to you by River Creek Popcorn. Uh, for all of your snacking needs and uh, for baseball games and movies of choice, come hungry, leave happy. Uh, off-season for baseball, off-season for popcorn, but uh, there's no such thing as, as off days. Uh, this is still uh, kicking into high gear here, isn't it? I have multiple orders again after our weekend that I thought was going to be our popcorn weekend. I have multiple orders again. People need it for Christmas season, and that's to be understood at this point of the year. A lot of Christmas movies to watch this time of year. Need I've, something to go with it. I've watched Christmas Vacation and Elf, and what else have I watched recently? Die Hard. So those are, I mean, those are like the big three as far as I'm concerned. We uh, did, uh, it's a more of winter, but Christmas is involved, but Grumpy Old Men was, was yeah, last night. Your wife texted so. me that. That's a, that's a classic <laughs> around here. If you live in Wisconsin, that's a classic too. So uh, for our podcast today, uh, we are going to break down some uh, some news and notes, uh, talk about uh, winter meetings, non-tenders, uh, big market front office decisions, as well as uh, looking at five teams who've Five and a half, you might as well say six, uh, but uh, we'll keep with our five theme anyways. Five we'll and a try. bonus, uh, but teams that have actually made multiple moves, uh, what do we think of those moves for that team, uh, as well as are we getting a picture of what their offseason is shaping out like, their offseason goals, how they're trying to meet it. We're going to talk five rumors of big things that are out there from uh, major reporters. I'm, then I'm going to put on my GM hat and do some wheeling and dealing and give you my top five uh, trades uh, that I'd like to see since uh, winter meetings was kind of a dud as far as that goes. Yeah, that one's going to be quick on the uh, news and notes. We'll see. <laughs> and we have uh, Corey's crystal ball as we look through the top five predictions on signings, etc. cetera, uh, for that there. So let's dive on in as we go into news and notes. Uh, winter meetings recap. If I forget where the button is, but I could play <laughs> crickets right now, and that would be appropriate at this time well they happened not exactly the same as usual it was virtual so they all sat in front of their computers as far as i'm concerned the gm sat in front of their computers and discussed they did have a rule five draft i guess that's the one thing we know for sure happened there was a rule five draft i do not i know the dodgers i believe had the first couple players were both selected off the dodgers or some of the early players were selected off the dodgers but other than that not a whole lot changed at the winter meetings yeah, Yankees and Rays had the most players taken overall between minor and major hmm. uh, league components of the of the Rule 5 draft. Uh, this is a, I mean, you go back, you had, uh, oh, who was it? Uh, if it was Tim Kirchin who was uh, making some uh, some stories of things that happened in days gone by of, of different winter meetings and big deals hmm. that have broken, big trades, and ones that almost happened and didn't. So you kind of got the scoop on previous years on how yeah. some of that stuff meant. Uh, there's some that are talking about, is this finally the end of the winter meetings, the way it has been in the past since the last couple of years, especially people more, it used to be you're at the bar and over drinks, you'd broker deals. And now it's people, a lot of the last few years, even before this year, right? It's, we've seen zoom meetings all over, right? That's the 2020, the year of the zoom meeting, the year of Google meets, you can get together anytime you want from the comfort of your couch, if you want to. So 
as much as I like the idea of the winter meetings and it's great, obviously I've never been to one, but it used to be, yeah, all the free agents you'd expect to sign this week and there'd be some big trades. But even the last few years before 2020 hit, a lot of the free agents wait, right? Scott Boris is pushing that market as long as he can. So we've seen free agents not signing until middle of the season, right? We've seen, was it Dallas Keuchel a couple of years ago yep. and Craig Kimbrell, we've seen wait to the middle of the year to try to keep their market going. So who knows? Maybe, maybe it's something that we won't see forever. I hope it doesn't go that way. Uh, number one, I suppose the one positive would be you don't have Scott Boris dominating the headlines. This is his his peak season, right? Yes, it is. When he has his annual uh, State of the Union address uh, from uh, the only agent who does that mm-hmm. and gets away with it. Uh, and this is a, a time period of messaging. And when you can convey out your, your messaging as an agent for players or teams with their, uh, this is their off-season uh kickoff with the media of what we're trying to accomplish or uh, all of those types of things happen here. But if baseball is smart, you don't lose this. You market this. If there's one thing that baseball lags behind in the other professional sports, it's they don't know how to market their product. And this should be like, especially in the off season, you hype this up. This is your big off-season storyline grabbing the media's attention. This is what you want. You want people to tune into this. You want people to be interested in this. You want the rumors going. You want to help facilitate a spot, and you encourage all teams to get together, make this an event. Uh, I think baseball desperately needs it. Uh, but I don't think Rob Manfred is the man for the job to handle the marketing side of things. And teams are more reluctant to do it when they realize in the year of Zoom and everything else that they don't have to be there to do it. Plus the ripple effect. There's smaller, in this way, smaller people involved. That's good for this. Mm-hmm. Number one, the economy. Whenever this goes to a mass, massive hotel, like this generates revenue and mm-hmm. an economy to a hotel and to the places around it. So that's number one that gets lost in this. And number two, this is where you go to try to break into the game. If you want to be uh, get a low-level spot with the team, if you want to become a reporter, if you want to do anything this way, this is where all these people gather and congregate because you're going to have all these uh, veteran reporters, all these teams and executives, this is where they had the job fair. Marketing. Uh, yeah. And so this is your chance. And so for a lot of these smaller time guys wanting to, to break in for it, you need this event. You don't get that same opportunity uh, to rub shoulders if you don't have this event. So from a marketing standpoint, as well as for some of these others, hopefully baseball is smart enough to bring this back and on a larger scale that benefits the game. Yeah, I would I would like to see them at least keep it in some capacity, and we'll see what it's going to be. Who knows? Stuff's we, changing all the time. We added uh, more free agents to the market. We have the non-tenders that uh, came through here. Why don't you give us some of those big names that are now uh, free agents? We're going to keep it to the big – I'd say the big three here at least. Uh, before the non-tender deadline, the day before, we heard that the Twins were actively – trying to trade Eddie Rosario. And apparently it's been a couple of years that they've been actively trying to trade Eddie Rosario. Now arbitration projected, he was at about 9.6 million. We thought that's where he was going to get to about 9.6 million. He's 29 years old, but this is a guy that we know can hit 30 home runs. He's hit 32 home runs a couple of years ago in this shortened year. He still hit 15 home runs. I was looking at his fan graphs page and he's got positive war every season of his career. Now he's below average defensively and 9.8 million. It's not cheap. If I have to take a guess on Eddie Rosario, I'm saying 
he's going to do something similar to what we saw Marcelo Zuna do last year. He'll take a cheaper deal somewhere and bet on himself to improve him to improve his marketing next season. Uh, Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber was not intended by the Cubs. He had a very rough year. I think a lot was expected from Kyle Schwarber, and he did not deliver to what we thought he was going to do That since we thought, well, this is the year he gets to finally show that he can be this DH and he can go up and finally start to hit home runs and not worry about playing defense. And then he proceeded to hit, I believe, was it 188 he put up last year? 188 for an average. Now, I looked at Kyle Schwarber's numbers a little more in depth. He had a 219 BABIP. So that's unlucky. Uh, he's not going to hit 219 BABIP every year. He's another one. He's a legitimate 30 home run threat, just like Eddie Rosario. Now, his defense is even worse than Eddie Rosario's. His is a real rough defense. But I, there's going to be a market. Some team is going to pay money to have Kyle Schwarber play outfield for them or play DH, play DH for them. And finally, the other big name I thought was Archie Bradley. So this is a relief pitcher. Uh, he was with the Diamondbacks, and he got traded middle of the season to the Reds. And he was not closing games for the Reds. He was setting up, but he has experience closing. Former top 10 pick overall in the draft. So he has pedigree. Has a live fastball. Big fastball, yeah, sure. And so we'll see. Uh, Archie Bradley, some team's going to latch on to him. There are some big numbers being thrown around for some of these relief pitchers. If you listened to last year, you know that I'm not always the fan of paying big money to relief pitchers. So Archie Bradley could be more of an affordable deal compared to what I think Liam Hendricks is going to get. Very much agreed. And uh, I think... uh uh, Radley has a chance to be one of the baseball's better bargains uh, in this this offseason. Um, I think of the ones mentioned, Kyle Schwarber has the biggest market. Uh, I know the Yankees, among three, four, five other teams, have already expressed interest. Uh, I think for the these non-tenders, like you said, the one-year bet-on-yourself contract is the best way for them to go. They have a strong market for the one-year deal. I think these guys can get solid contracts uh, for a one-year deal, and then you have a chance with a good year and a full year and a non-COVID year to have that opportunity to, to earn that multi-year deal. So I think a, a one-year contract is the best way for these to go. I, yeah, Schwarber, I think, is the one that's going to have the most most dollars thrown at him. It will be interesting to see where he lands. Uh, there's been some big market uh, front office decisions. A lot of these... Uh, Big teams now have guys in the, in the executive uh, player operations and all that stuff has gone through. Uh, so why don't you talk about some of those guys that now have new gigs and leading new teams? Let's start with the Phillies because that's the uh, – maybe not the biggest one, but that's a big one. Obviously, the Phillies, they hired Dave Dombrowski to leave their baseball operations. It's a little bit of a surprise. Dombrowski has a – extremely long storied history in this game. He's 65 years, no, 64 years old, excuse me, 64 years old. He's been doing this for three decades at this point, and he's won multiple World Series. He's been on teams that have won World Series. He's helped set up teams to win World Series. He's taken multiple teams there. To me, that's the big one. Mm -hmm. Uh, From a guy who has that type of a uh, background, but across the game, and you know this too, that uh, here's someone who is a polarizing figure as far as some people like him some people don't some people think he's been very good others think he's overhyped well what you know about Dave Dombrowski is okay famously he joins the Red Sox along I don't even remember what time was maybe like 2012 2015 somewhere's in there and he goes out and he's not afraid to spend money on what he would consider to be star players at the time like Josh Beckett Justin Verlander Rick Porcello he's not afraid to spend a lot of money and so the Phillies have said they're not 
necessarily going to spend the type of money we thought they would after this offseason. They have a lot of money tied up in Zach Wheeler and Bryce Harper already, uh, Andrew McCutcheon. So there's a lot of money already tied up in the Phillies. And if there's not a lot of free agents to money to spend, he's not afraid to trade his minor league talent uh, to leverage it all to try to win one here. And I'm not sure. The Phillies have minor league talent. Absolutely. Spencer Howard. Al, we saw Alec Baum come up at the end of the year. He was great. Spencer Howard was great. So if he's going to start trading some of these guys to try to win now, I don't think that's necessarily what the Phillies need. It's going to be interesting to see. I, I think I, I have a better grasp of the Phillies picture because of this hire. Number one, it's not going to be a rebuild in any which way, shape, or form because that's not something Dombrowski signs on for. And it also means that I, I think this will be, as a result of COVID, a one-year financial step back. But he doesn't sign on if the owner doesn't say he's gonna, he has a plan in the next two to five years to spend more money. That's why he left the Red Sox in the first place. They wanted to cut back. They wanted not to spend and that's not his style. Now, of course, what you get with Dombrowski is he's going to get you a contender. But at the end of his time yeah. with you, you will need to rebuild. Yeah. It's a guarantee he's going to leave you in financial strapped situation that will take you, again, three to five years to climb out of and get your next window of contention. But he will get you there. That's what the, We've uh, seen it with the Marlins, right? Yeah. He won two, a the World Tigers. Series and the Tigers, right? He wins World Series with both those teams. And then they actually compete after he leaves in both cases. But... Like you said, the, they're just barely getting out of it now, right? The Marlins are finally getting back to contention now after that long rebuild, and the Tigers have went through some real rough years. So, so it's a you're buying in knowing you're going to love the ride, hmm? but not like how it ends. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so for the next few years, I will say this, though. Philly has not been able to put their best foot forward. As an organization, they still haven't figured this out. What he will do is figure this out. He's done it with three franchises now. He's going to do that with Philly. He'll get them to the playoffs. This will be a World Series contending team. It's just you're not going to like that the, the final year of it. But at this stage, this is exactly what you brought him on for. Let's move on here. Let's go to the other NL East team. The New York Mets, it's been the biggest, I would say this is probably the biggest one because we've known they want to spend money. They are a team that has said we are willing to spend money and we're going to talk about them. They've already started to spend a little bit of money and I think they're going to spend more. But they decided to hire Jared Porter. Uh, I did not know much about Jared Porter, so I had to do some research on this one. He's been around for a while, Boston, Chicago, and Arizona. And he's apparently been working his way through the ranks and been seen as a Great communicator, really willing to work with his team, and most recently with the Diamondbacks, it sounds like a great hire. Somebody who's going to fit in well in New York, actually. I don't remember which which writer tweeted this, but said that this was the best guy that was out there who isn't already locked locked into like an executive of baseball operations gig. Yeah, that's that's great. I he's going to be he's jumping into a great situation, right? I said you got a, an owner who's willing to open up his pockets, and they've already started spending, and he's getting in here, and I think he's not done. And the last big-name GM we saw was the Rangers hired Chris Young, a former Major League pitcher with the Rangers. They hired Chris Young to be their next GM. So a little different. Jared Porter works his way up as a just an executive, and in this case, Chris Young was a player. And most recently, he was the – I think he was the – in the Mets? No, he was running for the Mets GM. I'm not entirely sure what he was doing. I think he was actually working for Major League Baseball like Kim Ong was, working at some capacity for Major League Baseball. And so now he's going to get his first chance as a GM with the team that he used to play for. The Rangers have made some moves too. 
Uh, we're going to talk about them in a little bit here with the five teams, but I, I think they're going to lose a lot of games next year. I don't think they're going to be a contender, but I see what they're doing. So I don't know if Chris Young had a lot of say in some of those moves yet or if he's just getting his feet wet, but I will say that I understand what the Rangers are trying to do. There'll be someone that we'll talk about in just a few minutes here as well as we try to break down some of those moves. Uh, the other uh, uh, big team is the the Angels now have uh, someone at the at the helm. And Pat Perry Manazian is their GM after being the assistant GM for a few years in Atlanta. The Angels, Art Moreno, the owner there, has hired him to be their new GM. Uh, another team, I think they have not come out as vocally as the Mets and said, we're going to spend money. I think both of us down here right now, as we sit and record this, think that they're going to spend some money. They've made a couple of trades, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. But I, while they filled in a bullpen spot, I still think they are a, going to be a big-time player in some starting pitching around. I was trying to think through the other teams that have a new uh, GM uh, this offseason. You have the Chicago Cubs, you have the mm -hmm. Marlins, and mm -hmm. then Oakland with uh, Billy Bean stepping down. At least as the Did architect. I don't think they have someone new there from his position. Uh, again, they still have their same GM. That didn't change. But That's as right. far yeah, as the he guy was, at, the, at the top. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what Oakland's done. And that say, I don't think there's any other team that I'm missing right now. But when you put all that together, those three, plus the four that we're talking about here, seven teams with a front office change, you add that to COVID, you add that to... Again, we're talking almost 25% of the league has changed front office perspectives. Yeah. That tells you why we're having a, a off-season freeze. It takes a while for these guys to come in and evaluate what they want to do that much more in this environment. Uh, and I think owners right now are telling uh, their GMs to really proceed with caution and just do information gathering, fact gathering at this point until they know if fans are going to be in the stands next year. That's the biggest linchpin. Why has this winter been so slow? That's it right there. If you could guarantee that fans are going to be in the stands from game one to game 162, this offseason will be proceeding differently. Hmm? Uh, but when you count the, the losses that happened in the last year without the financial certainty of the following, of this upcoming year, that's what's creating this backlog. So my prediction is that we won't see much yet before the end of the calendar year. January is going to be very busy. I think it'll be the busiest it's ever been in MLB history because by the time you get to February, you're only a couple of weeks from pitchers and, and catchers reporting. So January is where it's all going to happen. It's What we know about COVID right now is that there is a vaccine, uh, a couple of them. Two, three of them, we think. And Someone so on UPS this weekend. Yep, saw so the it's on the way out. So uh, here's my prediction for the fans. And I have absolutely no guess if I'll be right or not. Who knows? But I think that you'll see partial fans maybe like April to June. And I think, I think the hope is that you want at least close to full capacity by June. So I said, I have absolutely no idea if I'll be right or not. I'm going to guess optimistic is 50% capacity April, May. Yep and then 100% June and forward. And that's if there's been no delay in the vaccine process to get that through. Yeah, I'd say, I was going to say 25% in April and May. And so if it's 50%, all the better. Well, we'll see. That's, uh, we have, well, we're I not mean, doctors here, I, right? I think 50% like, is the best case oh, scenario. 25% sure. is probably the more realistic scenario. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I think by the all-star break is what you're looking at for like full capacity mm -hmm. uh, with that. But now that still means 
That's a sizable chunk, chunk of, of revenue oh, yeah. after already losing a lot of revenue. And we're going to talk players a little later here and rumors a little later. But there's at least one person, and this was the big headline on ESPN today, uh, that was saying the person that's going to be the most impacted by this is someone with a very large contract who otherwise could be moved. But because of the financial circumstance, it doesn't seem likely. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But let's go into awards. Uh, we have the we knew of one comeback player of the year. Now we have both as well as another uh, very cool award that's been announced here. Why don't you lead us through that? Well, we knew Daniel Bard the second that he played was a odds-on favorite to win the comeback player of the year, not having played for a few years, and then going out and becoming the closer for the Rockies. That one seemed pretty guaranteed. So congratulations, Daniel Bard. I believe you're a free agent right now, and I think that you should resign with Colorado. Salvador Perez, he missed all of last season, uh, the catcher for the Kansas City Royals, and then came out and had, in a 60-game sample, his best offensive season. So I can't say I was surprised to see Salvador Perez. He came out after not playing all of 2019 and put up uh, 11 home runs, 32 RBIs, hit 333, got a silver slugger. Yeah, when you put up a silver slugger like that, you're more than likely going to get that Comeback Player of the Year award. And then one of the most important awards, the one that doesn't get talked about the most, uh, talked about it the most, is the Roberto Clemente Award. You get that one. Obviously, Roberto Clemente, famous for his philanthropic work. Uh, so in this case, Adam, every team has got a nominee. I should mention that. Every team has a nominee, and then it gets voted on, I believe, by the players – and so Adam Wainwright won it this year. He is also a free agent and the longtime pitcher. He did a fantasy football for charity foundation. I kind of read up on this and then he decided to split. I believe it was somewhere in the six figures between a food bank that filled some food for St. Louis kids and uh, building a water or building a dam or trying to get water somehow to people in Central America. So yeah, that's an award that absolutely you want to win that one. You know, the, Talking about Salvador Perez real quick. Uh, here is someone who I thought in the last couple of years that his career was done, that getting beat up uh, knee-wise. And that's a hard position to do for so many years, and he's been doing it already for a long time. And then it seems like in the last two years here, his bat has returned. I mean, this guy was uh, an offensive threat who signed that a massive team-friendly contract, and he has uh, come back uh, and uh, shown another, at least a final swan song here, uh, and being the comeback player of the year, uh, good to see that uh, from him. And Adam Wainwright has always been known as a, a good clubhouse guy, a good leader off the field with what he does. Awesome to hear everything about him. Let's do... Wrap up our news and notes with uh, a little bit of uh, Brewers notes in this uh, offseason as we talk non-tender and we talk trades. Uh, there's one that has happened so far. So the Brewers were reportedly going to non-tender Corey Knable, a former closer with Milwaukee, who's got hurt a couple of years ago and then pitched. Obviously, Josh Hader showed up and Devin Williams showed up, so he was pitching more middle relief last season. He's not doing it particularly well. Uh, he had a 608 ERA, which was backed up by his solid 664 FIP. So uh, they were going to not tender him. In the end, they were able to trade him to the Los Angeles Dodgers and not the Brewers relief pitcher that I expected to possibly be traded to the Dodgers, but they did make a trade to the Dodgers for a player to be named later or cash. 
Now, I believe the player has been named. I don't have it in front of me. It was a minor league player, which I was unaware of. So they chose a player. Uh, just we're in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We'll talk Brewers for a second. It's the Brewers bullpen is still a strength at this point. They still have Josh Hader and Devin Williams. So if you put possibly two of the best four relief pitchers right now in the game uh, in the back end of your bullpen, that's going to be a strength. And I think they have enough that they can still get to those guys. Uh, I wish that I think surprisingly the Brewers hitting is still is still their weakness. I when, before the year started, I thought it was going to be a strength. It was their weakness. It's still their weakness. I'd much rather see them put more money towards bats than bullpen arms. What well, what I like though, despite uh, the guy that you hoped could be Manning for a space for the the Brewers this year, we'll talk about that signing here in a little bit. Uh, but uh, a guy I like, I'm going to throw that one out here uh, for them is Mitch Moreland. Uh, I think he fits as a, if you look at his numbers even from last year, like versus right-handed pitching. Now, again, you need someone to demand first for against lefties. Maybe Ryan Braun fits that as a small part-time role. Uh, but uh, Mitch Moreland was still like an 850 OPS uh, versus right-handed pitching last year. Uh, he still has some uh, good uh, thump uh, left in his bat. I think he'd be a nice fit on a one-year deal, but we'll see what happens with uh, with that as time goes on. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at five teams who, despite the slow start to this offseason, there's five teams that have actually made multiple moves. Uh, We actually have some movement uh, with some of these teams, and so how can we take a look at what they've done so far, what our thoughts are on it, do we see an offseason picture and goal forming, all that coming up next. Cut my egg. Your eggs are cut, sir. Cut my milk. I can't, sir. It's liquid. Imbecile! Freeze it, then cut it. You! Bring me the Wall Street Journal. You two, fight to the death. You are a madman. I want to party with you, cowboy. Are you kids with your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg, your Zima, hula hoops, and Pac-Man video games? Don't you see? People today have attention spans that can only be measured in nanoseconds. <laughs> be honest with you, I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Fulton fan. Yes! That's awesome! Well, aren't we all Michael Bolton fans? As we take a look at the five teams, uh, as, as Corey cringes, uh, as we take a look at the five teams who've made moves here, we'll start with the one who's making the biggest head waves, and that's the New York Mets. Uh, you have an owner who said he wants to make it rain, uh, and we've had two moves, but not the moves that fans had hoped when you have that type of hype. Uh, you're expecting bigger names, you're expecting bigger contracts, and it still may happen. Uh, but let's take a look at who they've signed so far. Let's start with Oh, yeah, go ahead. My bad. I'll start with James McCann because even though he actually signed later, he's he's the one that people are going to want to talk about. So James McCann, uh, yesterday, I believe it was yesterday, yeah, signed for four years and $40 million to play catcher for the New York Mets. So James McCann, we I think both thought that he was the second catcher prize on the market, and I still believe JT Ramuto is the better catcher, but bang for your buck signings, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm going to toot my own horn here on this one because I, I very much predicted on this due to the the size of interest because there is there's a, a number one and there's a first tier and then there's a second tier and then it's everybody else. So if you want a legitimate starting catcher without question marks at this point, you can argue there's some with McCann, but overall of, of what's available, there's two guys. The first guy is going to cost you nine figures. 
So what did that do to the market of the second guy as people looked for a, a better price point? Uh, you had a lot of interest in McCann. And so what I said on this podcast is it's going to take four years when people were looking at three three years, $30 million as kind of the baseline for him due to the number of, of teams interested. I said the first team that offers that fourth year is the team that's going to sign him. And that's exactly how this unfolded and played out. And the Mets were able to do that. And so a four-year, $40 million contract for James McCann. Despite the potential question marks from someone who doesn't have a lot of longevity and who actually was a backup last year, uh, the numbers and the underlying numbers support what he's been doing. And you've had someone who has also emerged defensively who's that's, improved and been trending up in the last two years. That's what I was going to bring up here. The the pitch framing, the defense, Jacob DeGrom's going to love him. This is a team that spent money on their pitching last season. So it's hard to remember because Marcus Stroman opted out, but they had Marcus Stroman. They had Jacob DeGrom. This is, a, I believe, Steven Matz is still under contract here. Rick Porcello is still under contract here. So we thought it was going to be a good pitching staff. It should be a good pitching staff. And getting a good, what I consider to be a good defensive catcher, he put up four war defensively last year in a 31 games. So I think James McCann is an excellent signing for the New York Mets. And this is a team that we've both said on this podcast lots of times. They make some strange moves. We don't always know what they're doing. This one makes a lot of sense. And so does Trevor May as they signed him to a two-year contract. Uh, the former Minnesota Twins reliever. Uh, has been very good, was one of the guys that we were also highlighting here as one of the non-bigger names uh, that uh, had a lot of, again, trending up in the last two to three seasons. Uh, and so this one makes a lot of sense for the, the Mets as they try to stabilize their bullpen. Here's my, my question on this and where I, I scratch my head and I wonder, uh, and this is why owners always have to be careful what they say, uh, because fans get excited by such things. If you wouldn't have had his comments at his press conference of owning the team, and I get it, you want to hype up your product, you want to show you're committed to it, but if he didn't have the comments, you'd be happy with McCann and May. Because of the comments you made, a fan's going to look at that and go, why didn't you get Real Muto, and why didn't you get Hendricks? It looks like you are cheaping out from when you said you were going to make it rain, you were going to spend big money. Now it depends. There can still be a George Springer signing. There can still be a Trevor Bauer signing. There can still be a trade for Francisco Lindor. But I'm telling you, because you have hyped up this offseason and you can try to say, well, next year is when we're going to really get involved with it. It's New York. You're not going to get by with that. You set up a standard where you have to get one major player, and James McCann is not front-page news in New York. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, I I don't think they're done. I think there's a big name coming. We'll talk about him in a little while. Uh, but, yeah, abs- absolutely. If As far as yeah, making it rain or spending all this money and bringing in these big names, James McCann's an excellent baseball player. He's a good yep. signing. A yep. team should be very happy to have him. Trevor May, Trevor May. Trevor yep. May, I don't think he's going to be the closer. I I think they're going to keep Edwin Diaz. I think they're going to keep Edwin Diaz. I think he's going to be the closer. I'm not even sure. I think they might move Seth Lugo back into the setup role. Trevor May may end up being a seventh inning guy. And I've said, I don't like spending a lot of money on relief pitchers. $7 million a year. That's okay. That's and only not a two-year commitment. That's not bad. I can live with that one. So 
I, I think they're good signings. I don't think it's – no, it's certainly not the premier free agent signing that we were led to believe this team was going to make, and I and don't think they're young. done yet. Yep. Yeah, it's still, it's still very much young, but I know that crowd's going to get antsy quickly, uh, and so we'll see what happens. But our next team up on the list, we talked about Chris Young uh, coming to uh, manage the Texas Rangers, uh, and they've made a couple of low-key moves that are going to be at least part of their, their plan for starting gigs – uh, in this upcoming year. Okay, so this was, if you remember right, this was like the worst offense in the game. Terrible. Real bad. And that was not what we thought was going to happen, but it was bad. So we didn't mention him in the non-tenders because I knew he was going to come up here, but David Dow was non-tendered by the Colorado Rockies. Somewhat surprisingly, I don't think that one kind of caught people off guard. He's still only 26. Former top 10 pick overall. Very highly regarded prospect. And A good season as, or as late as 2019. So yeah. just whenever he's played, here. he's always been good. It's the That's question the with key. David Dahl has always been the health, right? That's the key. We've seen a hundred games one time out of him, and that was 2019. So even in a shortened season, he got 24 games. It's always been health. They signed him cheap, one year, three million. And once again, this is a this is your classic bet yourself. Maybe he can stay healthy. And if he does stay healthy, we we don't know. We think that the Rangers have a very pitcher friendly ballpark. Now here's the key to that. Uh, they played against the AL West and the NL West, which the NL West did not play very – I don't know if the Dodgers ever came there, but the AL West had some pretty rough offenses in it. So I don't know how good it is. Next year, I don't think they're going to play geographic settings. So it could be a fine hitter's ballpark yet. And maybe David Dahl goes out, stays healthy for 130 games, and hits 25 home runs and 80 RBIs. Well, and that's why Dahl's an intriguing fit because he's also a contact hitter. Uh, so he's not reliant on the long ball. If this park somehow suppresses uh, uh, the home runs or if the ball doesn't carry as well as it did in the previous stadium, that's not going to impact his game as much. Uh, if they're able to get him some good DH time, let him rest, uh, take advantage of the bat and keep him healthy, uh, if that's possible. Uh, what David Dahl has done is he's gone to a place where he's going to get plenty of playing time. They need him as much as he needs them to show that he can still be that guy at only age 26. Uh, then you also have uh, the trade that took place this past week, probably one of the only only trades during the winter meetings timeline. Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, a small move for former Rays first baseman and prospect Nate Lowe uh, and uh, – he was traded for a couple of minor leaguers. Uh, minor league prospects were a little bit in the lower levels of the of well, the float of the float. One of them is considered yeah. like Heriberto Hernandez is a real good hitting yes. prospect. Yes. Like think uh, Hunter Renfro ish maybe. Like I know they just cut him. Like real big power, but it's it's a ways away. Sorry. No, that's the point. So they they traded away some guys who, uh, if you t- looked at fan graphs uh, as they gave their analysis of the deal. Uh, Eric Longerhans, if I'm saying his last name right, uh, was not a fan of the deal as far as he's very high uh, on that prospect, that hitting prospect. Uh, But as far as what this does for Texas, they've already slotted him in. Here's your first baseman for next year. Uh, This guy does have power. Uh, If you throw anything low to middle, he's going to cream it. Uh, He has shown that already, and he can do that at the major league level. It's the high heat that he doesn't lay off of well. That's the, the crux of the game. If he figures that out, uh, then you have a guy who has a pretty decent ceiling. At the very least, you're giving a, a young guy who's promising at bats to try to go and do that versus some aging veteran who isn't going to get you anywhere. So it's an interesting move. I like it. 
Uh, same thing with David Dahl. You're betting on upside and still only 26. So I like the what they're trying to do. They're trying to uncover rocks. Mm-hmm. But unlike uh, unlike the Milwaukee Brewers from last year, it's not aging veterans who maybe can give you one more good year. These are younger players that if you hit it right, you have those that you can add to your, your nucleus as you are in the rebuilding process. No one's ever – Nate Lowe is still only 25. No one's ever questioned his – I would say his raw power is very strong. Uh, his ability to hit the ball is pretty high. Maybe he strikes out a little too much. It's not It's not like Joey Gallo levels. So you can play that. Uh, not a great defender. That's why G-Man Choi gets all the playing at time at first, right? Not Nate Lowe, not a great defender. They're going to put him at first base and expect him to play over there. Uh, probably going to be a little below average, but once again, I could easily see in regular playing time if Nate Lowe hits 25-plus home runs, I, that's very, very believable to me. It's definitely a possibility, and that's definitely why they, they bet on, on him to see if that can, can happen. If we look at the uh, Kansas City Royals next, uh, this is a team that has gone for those uh, mid-tier veterans, and I think this is one of the teams that has done a good job of exploiting the market to get the guys that are willing to sign right now because they want to make sure they have a spot uh, in this musical chairs game of the offseason before the music runs out. I love the Royals moves so far. I These, do too. I absolutely love the Royals moves. Uh, the Royals, the big one that they signed since the last time we talked was Carlos Santana got two years and $17 million, and that was who Dan was referring to earlier that I was hoping the Brewers would sign. And if you had told me that it was going to be at uh, $8.5 million per year, I'd have said, oh, jump all over that, right? Like, you've got that Ryan Raw money. So they didn't. The Kansas City Royals did. They're going to plug him right into first base, or DH. I'd probably split a little bit at both, I would expect. Um, and... Yeah, we've talked about on this podcast that he hit under 200 last season. I believe it was 199, but he still maintained like a 350 OBP because he led baseball in walks, and he's had that. There's some luck, uh, unlucky that was going on there too. And he's always, the thing is, he's always had that high on base percentage because he walks like almost no one else in the big leagues. So they're going to plug him in. I would expect him to hit third or fourth in the lineup, uh, right around Solaire, that area. Probably right in front of Solaire. Right in front of Solaire, we think, yeah. And switch hitter. I have good signing for the Kansas City Royals. The other big signing they had, we talked about at the very end of the last podcast, but we didn't know the numbers. Mike Miner came over uh, after being with Texas, and then he went to Oakland, and now he's staying in the American League, and now it's Kansas City. Two years, $18 million with an option for a third year at another $13 million. That's a club option. So Mike Miner, uh, another solid veteran signing. This is a team they met. They had Brady Singer. They got Chris Bubick at by the end of the year. They have some very highly regarded pitching prospects, and – Look, these are you're betting on a couple of aging veterans, but I'm not. Kansas City is an interesting team to me for next year. A fun team. They are signing the veterans that are not past their prime. Uh, oh. There's some some question marks uh, that there's always some risk involved with that. Mike Miner's coming back from uh, uh, you know somewhat injury, but arm fatigue, whatever you want to call it, within it. Uh, but if you put this together with the three years, three year, thirty one mil, uh, but you're only on the hook for eighteen guaranteed. Like uh, Kyle Gibson, that was him 330 uh, last year. So this is a very market-comparable option for someone who, as just in the last two years, uh, was almost at an all-star level uh, of pitching. So I, I love the moves. I like what Kansas City has done so far, and I think that's what you're going to see is here's a team that knows they have some money available. They're targeting that mid-tier group on guys that they're going to get for a little bit cheaper than 
you would otherwise get in a normal circumstance. And I love what they're doing so far. They actually also, one of their non-tenders, they non-tendered Michael Franco, which was, I caught some people off guard. We didn't catch that one, but they non-tendered Franco. So that leaves their third base position open, actually. He was playing third for them. Now, what I think they're going to do is last year, Hunter Dozier played first mainly for them, but Hunter Dozier actually is a third baseman. So they're going to move Santana to first. You're going to keep Soler mostly at DH, but you might put him in the outfield or whatever, and then Dozier moves back to third. And, you know, it actually lengthens their lineup, and it's it's a solid lineup. You talk was, about, so we talked say, about how good Salvador not, Perez was. Yeah. We know Whit Mirafield's pretty good. Uh, Mondesi, when he's on, he's legitimate. The last month of the season, he was like the best player in baseball. And when he's on, he's really good. So it's it's a pretty decent and lineup now. Dozier and uh, then, you know, Soler can hit 50 bombs, and you put in a patient bat with Franchi with, Cordero, uh, yeah. Uh, with uh, Carlos Santana, so like I said, it's a it's an interesting lineup. Yes. This is going to be a pesky team. I think yeah. that's already the name to give them. Like the Marlins, they're not going to be an easy team to to get past. Now it's all about pitching. Sure. Uh, what what can they add yet as far as starting pitching to make this more competitive? But they're I, they're sneaky sneaky good moves at mm-hmm. this point. They need more of them. But they're definitely in the right uh, right spot. So let's take a look at the Atlanta Braves. These moves were done early. But they've clearly, as far as painting a picture, everyone knew what was their number one need, starting pitching. They needed to add uh, add some length to the starting pitching options. Uh, you already had uh, very good options at the top. Ian Anderson emerged as a nice young arm to build with as well. Uh, so uh, their moves, though, uh, I, I love. Uh, Drew Smiley was the first guy to come off. One year, $11 million, Thought 11 was a little high. But he added a couple miles per hour on his fastball. He was healthy this past year. Uh, and you're only risking a one-year deal at the same time. So I like the left-handed option there. And then, of course, Charlie Morton was the big signing. One-year 15 mil for him. So this is a team that saw weakness. This is a team that was a very good team anyways. They saw they have a weakness. And they've already went out and they've said, look, we're going to take our weakness. Now here's your projected rotation by, by fan graphs or Roster resource, I guess, is actually what it is. It's Max Fried at the top, Charlie Morton, Ian Anderson, Drew Smiley, Kyle Wright. We've heard good things about Mike Soroka coming back from his Achilles tendon. You put him in there instead of Kyle Wright, and now you're you're one to five. Like you, you put Kyle Drew Smiley last year had a three forty two ERA with a two FIP. So he was even unlucky to pitch like that. I, I love the Drew Smiley signing. I think that's that's a great signing. If, if Robbie Ray's getting eight million, or Drew Smiley's getting eleven, it's it's no brainer to me. So I they. It's great. Excellent you job. You find by the a Braves. way to talk about your boy I, every podcast. I, just I love it. I just can't believe you could say $8 million dollars a year. I just, <laughs> unbelievable to me. Well, the big pitching uh, move that was made in, uh, since we've had our, our last podcast uh, dealt with the Chicago White Sox. Lance Lynn was finally moved. Uh, and with only one year left on his deal, it wasn't going to cost as much. But uh, it's an intriguing prospect that Texas gets back, Dane Dunning. So, yeah, we could have mentioned this one under the I Rangers. I say we didn't add that yeah. to the, the list here, but we can incorporate that as we talk about the White Sox. I could have mentioned this one under the Rangers, too. So, Lance Lynn, uh, you can toot your own horn here. We can toot our horn, right? We said there was, Lance Lynn was probably going to move, and one of the teams we said was the Chicago White Sox. Now, I had forgotten that Lance Lynn debuted with the Cardinals uh, way back under the Tony La Russa era. I had not realized that until it was brought up when I was watching some, I think it was probably MLB Network or something, but he has experience with Tony La Russa, so he's coming back. We're going to party like it's 2009. I, who knows what he's doing anymore, but... Uh, Lance Lynn, great year. Last couple of years have been excellent with Texas Rangers. After a solid career with the Cardinals, he's really actually taken off. And 
I didn't go through the Statcast data that much, but as far as other things, it just looked like he limited the walks. It was it used to be well into the threes. Now it's more mid twos, and you keep the walks down. That's great. Now last year you got a little real lucky with some low Babbitt, but that's you're neither here nor there. So I love it for the White Sox. They're trying to compete now. Makes a lot of sense to me. Now going the other way, if we talk quick Texas. We saw Dane Dunning come up in the middle of the season last year, pitching for the White Sox and doing it pretty well. And now this is a team that we talked about just a few minutes ago, probably not going to compete this year. Probably not, but they're taking a chance on some young guys and Dane Dunning fits perfectly for them. So this one almost seems like a win-win to me. I would agree. I think each team got what they were hoping for out of it. Uh, some people have mentioned, you know, Dunning's ceiling may not be that big, but you're not going to get that much for a one one year left on a deal uh, for for Lance Lynn, I think to get a guy with you know five plus years of team control and someone that you could potentially grow with and maybe be a mid rotation starter. Again, you add a, like a 24, 25 year old Dane Dunning to the twenty five year old Nate Lowe, twenty six year old David Dahl. Again, a pattern is is emerging here, and, and I at least like again what we're seeing from Texas uh, with the White Sox. You get the veteran at the top of the rotation that you need, especially for. Uh, someone with playoff experience or a veteran who can help you with those tight uh, games in September, October. And then they signed Adam Eaton on a one-year deal for $8 million. Um, You know, I, he's not the guy he was, but there is still more left in the tank. Uh, looking back at numbers in the last two years, uh, you need to limit him a little bit more. Uh, you need to watch his ABs. Uh, but I think he does still have uh, something to offer for this team. This one's weird to me. See, I'm... I. They have such a weird, like, I think they have a great lineup. I think that they have such a weird lineup, though, in that most of their guys strike out way too much and don't get on base at a high enough rate. And Adam Eaton's done that throughout his career, but he didn't really do it last year. Uh, his on-base percentage last year was 285. So what I think they're going to do, and here's my prediction for the White Sox, is they're going to bat Adam Eaton either first or second, and Tim Anderson will bat in the other spot. It's going to kick my boy Nick Madrigal down to nine. And I'm going to hate it because Nick Madrigal should bat two. He's like the perfect two hitter. And then you have all your power hitters. You have your Abreu's and Moncada's and Jimenez's and Robert's and Grandal's. And they have, I don't know if we've ever mentioned this on this podcast. They have Andrew Vaughn, who's like the top first base prospect in baseball and should be their DH this year. And then you put Eloy in the outfield. But as far as Adam Eaton goes, I just... Yeah, it makes somewhat sense to me. I, I get it. Now, the last three years, let's let's take out COVID years. The last three years, his on-base percentage is 393, 394, 365. Okay. You, you, can, you can live, you can with, live that, with that, especially yeah. the 360s. I don't think he's the 390 guy anymore. No. But if, you're, if your on-base percentage is 350 or above, that's uh, a solid leadoff hitter. Do you have how many games he played each of those years? Yeah, good point. Uh, as you look at that, well, 151. Okay, uh, he had 20, 151 in there. And then 95. 95. So at least those are, uh, again, I, like I said, you need to, he needs more rest days. Mm-hmm. You have to factor that in with him. Uh, but I think on a one-year deal, uh, you could, there's, you're adding something to it. Again, what's the problem with the White Sox? They're too young. So, you, so you're adding some veteran guys especially in challenging positions, right? A leadoff hitter is a hard thing to do. Now, Tim Anderson's been doing it very well. Yeah. Uh, but now if you can add two guys at the top that can give you better ABs uh, and your big boppers can come in and punish uh, those pitchers on mistake pitches, 
I, I, they needed I a lefty. They needed a left. Like Adam Eaton, yes. I think is the only lefty other than Grandal, other than some switch hitters, right? They have Grandal and uh, doesn't Moncada switch hit? Yeah, he switch hits. So they have a couple of switch hitters, and then you need a lefty. So I I get it by that aspect. He's a fine right fielder. Which is why they're supposedly in on Michael Brantley as someone who that fits would make the more, lefty. That would have made a lot more sense. If you'd have told me they signed type. Michael Brantley, I would have loved it. Uh, Adam Eaton is a, it's like a C in my opinion. Like if it means that yep. they can't afford, in a little bit we're going to talk about them signing some bullpen help. If it's because they signed Adam Eaton that they can't afford some top end bullpen arm, it's a bad signing. That much I very much, uh, very much agree with. Again, I think Michael Brantley fits as a DH. They didn't get anything out of Edwin Encarnacion. It was only a one-year deal. He's a free agent. So if, if you can get Michael Brantley there, uh, then you are you're adding those left-handed bats uh, to complement what you have, and then it becomes a much deeper lineup, 1-9. to nine. So this is a, I'll grade it after I see what else they do. Yep. Uh, so that covers the the five teams. The only one that will include include in as a bonus team that has made uh, uh, two trades. If you like the name Iglesias, well, then you like the Los Angeles Angels. So first, they made a trade for Jose Iglesias with the shortstop from the Orioles, and I'm not entirely sure what they got back in return for Jose Iglesias. But I do know that Jose Iglesias was excellent last year for the Baltimore Orioles. One of those surprising players that we didn't see coming, and. Yeah, 373 average last year in 39 games. 373 with three homers and 24 RBIs. So the Angels had a need at shortstop. Uh, Simmons is a free agent. Andrelton Simmons been their shortstop for a long time, free agent. So they went out and they filled it with, excuse me, he was with Cincinnati. I had, or no, he was with Baltimore, right? So he's already jumped around from Detroit to Cincinnati to Baltimore. So he's made his way around the American League, and he's staying in the American League some more. And so I would expect him to bat like middle of the lineup out there and – be a solid, solid contributor. And then they decided, we know they have a need at pitching. We've said that many times on this podcast. And instead of starting with a starting pitcher, they went to a closer and traded for a very, very impressive closer, one who's been around big leagues for a long time and done it very well, and that's Raziel Iglesias. Uh, spent his entire career so far with Cincinnati. Last year was oh, one of his, I mean, the FIP was awesome, 184, 274 ERA, so pitched extremely well and has done that his whole career, and he will slot right in. They've kind of bounced around closers over the years. We've seen Mike Myers do it, at, or Mike, it's Myers is how he says it. Mike Myers, like the actor, and Ty Buttrey's done it, and uh, they've had a little bit of a rotating door out there. So now there's there's no question it will be Raziel Iglesias from day one. They traded him for No Ramirez, who I don't know anything about, so I'm not going to talk about him. Here's the, if at the end of the offseason, when we talk about teams that had like the five biggest needs to fill uh, and then the who they signed I think this will be a top five impact acquisition at an area of need and here's what I mean the Los Angeles Angels we've talked about a lot of teams that had bullpen struggles uh, this past year the Angels stood out by far if you look at blown saves they had 14 blown saves this past year that would be a kind of a big number in a 162-game season. Let us not forget that we're talking a 60-game season. This would project out to 37 blown saves over the course of a 162-game season. The Major League Baseball record is 34. That's how bad their end-of-games options were, and at least the results from that. This fills a major need and if you want to have an option of Mike Trout playing meaningful games in September to have a shot even in Finally. October, 
Fine, but at least even have a full 162-game season where you're in it. You have to improve that bullpen, and this was a very underrated signing that helped fill a huge role uh, for a team. But let's go ahead and uh, transition here as we talk from signings that have happened to, uh, again, the, the one podcast we weren't able to do was the, the hot stove. How uh, dare you get the, laryngitis? I know, right? As I'm still trying to battle my way through that, as you can tell. No faking going on here. But uh, it was a dud anyways as far as winter meeting hypes go. So that means there's still moves to be had, which means we can still fire up this hot stove. And let's talk about... Among Major League Baseball reporters, what are the biggest rumors that are out there? We have five of them for you today. The first one comes from the Athletics' Eno Saris with a interesting dark horse suitor for JT Realmuto. So his, he, he mentioned that he thinks that the uh, Houston Astros would be an interesting place or suitor for JT Realmuto. So they had a very nice year out of Martin Maldonado, uh, defensively and home run wise. And he's been there for a few years and pretty, very good at defense. So catcher, not a huge need. Now we know they're going to have likely have some offensive needs because I don't think we think George Springer's coming back. I don't necessarily believe Michael Brantley's coming back. So could JT Yamuta play? Like he's played first. We've seen him do that in the past. They have Yuli Gurriel at first. He could play DH and you could rest him, but they have Jordan Alvarez to play DH, right? So, uh, you're probably not taking him out of the lineup. Uh, could JT Ramuto go to Houston? Yeah, sure. He could. They'll, they have money available. They have to. I don't know how much he was playing Springer and uh, Brantley. Brantley, excuse me, but they have to have money available. Now, would I think that's going to happen? No. I think that J- James McCann filled one of his slots, right? We thought the Mets were going to be very much in on JT Ramuto, and James McCann's signed there, and that's out. So if I'm handicapping JT Muto's landing spots, I'm still putting it back at Philly, back to Philly, and I don't think they want to spend the money on him. But I don't think he's going to get what he wanted. And then I think the Nationals. I, I think the Nationals are the second most likely team at this point, in my opinion, to get JT Muto. I would agree with that. Here's a team that has money coming off the books in the next uh, one to two years, from Max Scherzer to... Uh, I think there's one or two other guys that are uh, off the payroll, and you're talking 30 to $60 million coming off in the next two seasons. So whatever you pay them now, you can incorporate it into future payrolls. Uh, but I think what is being described here is a scenario that happens as the dominoes fall. If Springer goes, if Brantley goes, you now have a team with the Astros that are wanting to still be aggressive that were within inches of going back to the World Series this past year. Uh, could they sign a premium guy uh, like, J- like JT Realmuto to add to that offense? And then if you have a situation like the White Sox, who just showed it can work very well, who had Grandal and McCann, could you have Realmuto and uh, Maldonado uh, as part of that duo and keep some of these guys healthy uh, and rotate through? Because uh, there's still going to be DH spots. There's going to be first base spots. Uh, Realmuto did some first base work uh, for the Marlins uh, as part of his uh, year two year a couple of years ago before he was traded to the Phillies, so can he shift some spots around to get some extra at bats? Absolutely. And as we know, injuries happen. So if this is a way of uh, it's intriguing. I don't oh, sure. I don't think it's likely to happen, but 
it all depends how the dominoes fall. I very much agree that this is a dark horse candidate for them as they look to make a splash with the money that they have to keep their contention window open. All I got to say is they're currently projected to have Miles Straw and Shaz McCormick starting in their outfield. So there's a bigger need on this team than catcher. That I very much would agree with. Uh, well, don't forget uh, Kyle Tucker. Uh, oh, he's, I didn't mention it. He's in right field. I was just talking center and left. So there's going there's to be... There's one good outfielder, and then there's Chaz McCormick <laughs> and Miles Straw. This is true, uh, and there's not a lot of... Again, I, I suppose Marcelo Zuna could be more of an interesting fit, depending upon what you think of his defense, but you had Michael Brantley in left, so you could we'll easily fit that. So I'll get to those guys. Yep, so let's talk to the second big one, and that's uh, Ken Rosenthal. Uh, again, anyone can say it. Uh, and can, There's always certain teams you can say, all the Yankees are in, all the Dodgers are in. Well... At the same time, this is what the Dodgers do. And so what his rumor is, uh, he thinks the Dodgers are still the favorite to sign Trevor Bauer. Yeah, he said that on a live stream. So he, he said that on a live stream and said that Bauer should go to the Los Angeles. And at this point, I'm going to handicap it as Trevor Bauer is likely to end up in the state of California. I think there are three teams in the state of California, and I would put my money on one of them signing him. Now, but now he just was saying, don't I look good in a Toronto Blue Jays uniform over is, the weekend? I there don't is understand. nobody better than at stirring the pot than <laughs> Trevor Bauer at this point. But if I'm, if I'm handicapping this, I'm still putting the Angels at one. I still think the Angels are the favorites. I'm going to put San Diego at two, and then I'm going to put the Dodgers at three. Now, could the Dodgers find money and sign him? Absolutely. They could throw it out there, but I think I, I still think Los Angeles followed by San Diego followed by the Dodgers. The, uh, the team that I also see interesting, I'll throw them out there too. I don't see them going there uh, just because there's more competitive teams there, but San Francisco, sure. uh, they have money. They do. Uh, you would love they, pitching there. And they were close to the playoffs this uh, past year here. So they, He's yeah. exactly what they need. Uh, so I think any of those teams yeah. uh, could sign him. Now, I just don't think San Francisco is far enough along competitively. That's the thing. Is uh, it, does to, he, to get him over the other suitors. Yeah, that's the only thing was with him. is Those other teams are really competitive, I think can be competitive. And I, the Giants came out of nowhere and were great last year. He's going to want some uh, agreement. like he, Not agreement. I don't know what the word is. He's going to want a... Something in place that he knows that he's going to be competitive while he's with the Giants. I don't think he wants to if go on a, a non-contender team. If it's a multi-year deal, he'll want an opt-out sure. like after year one or two. So this way he can make sure that they become the contender that they are telling him as they're selling on him coming there. He would want a fail-safe to mm -hmm. be able to bolt if uh, if needed. Right now we know in this offseason, George Springer and JT Realmuto, those are the two guys that are most likely to get nine-figure contracts. If Trevor Bauer does sign a long-term contract, then you have three. Mm -hmm. Well, right now, uh, there's another player that would say, hey, I think there's a fourth one that you should add to that list. And that's what Bob Nightingale is reporting, that DJ LeMahieu wants a five-year, $100 million contract from, uh, from the Yankees or from anyone. Yeah, and the Yankees are reportedly offering three years, 75, so more per year, but not as many years, right? So LeMahieu is, I believe he's 34. No, he's 32. Sorry, 32. And he's going to be 33 in July. So three years at that, you're 35 at the end of the contract. You understand why the Yankees want to say, okay, 35, your bat's going to start like DJ LeMahieu's been great, right? But the bat's going to slow down. Now he's going to say, well, I want financial security till I'm 37. So you understand both people's angle here. I still think he ends up in New York. I do think he ends up in New York. I don't think he gets his five years. 
I think maybe he gets maybe they come to a compromise four years, 80 million club option, mutual option, something like that. This is going to be the most interesting storyline to follow. He has loved playing in the pinstripes. He has loved being a New York Yankee. But right now, and my uh, uh, my uh, math skills are telling me that uh, from $100 million to $75 million, that there's a $25 million gap. See, I taught third, I taught third grade. You're there. on point there, dude. So that gap needs to be filled at least halfway uh, for him to stay because his market is way too good. His market is at the level of James McCann as far as those that are willing to spend. You have the Dodgers that are lurking as a, a candidate because if they don't resign uh, Justin Turner, DJ LeMay, who fits excellent on that team, and for this uh, the type of money they spend, that's not a big chunk of change for them. You also have the Washington Nationals that have expressed interest uh, and have a need for offense to go with the Juan Soto. Uh, there's uh, The Mets have had intrigue with him. The Toronto Blue Jays have uh, had intrigue with him. Of the teams that have already been reported willing to spend, guess what you have there? All the teams that are willing to spend. Mm -hmm. That's how you get a market. That's how you get to 5 and 100. And the Yankees cannot just sit there and say, well, this is good enough. They'll lose him. So they're going to have to spend more money than they want to. And I also don't want to hear Yankees crying poor. I'm sorry. That that just doesn't make any sense. You have a batting title guy, someone who finished in the top five as an MVP, and still you're talking about just hitting the $100 million marker. This is where you have that money for a reason. So I looked it up because I thought it was almost the same, and it is close. Now, Josh Donaldson's had the injury concerns, right? So last offseason he got – he was 34 at the time, and he got four years, $92 million with that club option. So if it meets somewhere around there, that, that seems to be a, a comparable players, right? Now, Josh Donaldson, I said, had the injuries. DJ LeMay, who almost won an MVP award. Well, and, and Donaldson's going to be more of your uh, – he's proven. Third base, he can play sure. defense there, more proven there. DJ LeMay, he was second. Uh, and you have more of a power hitter versus an extreme contact hitter, but one who's got multiple batting uh, titles. So even though there's a different skill set, very comparable as far as what they should be able to get in, in the open market. And I think everyone just assumed that the Yankees would just get LeMahieu back mm-hmm. and his market has taken off more than they ideally wanted to. And so this becomes the interesting question. This is the $25 million question. What do you want to pay? Because if you lose him, uh, then you're talking uh, a big blow to the New York Yankees for their postseason contention now. That's a hard person to to fill, but as a perfect segue. Yes, it is. Uh, Tom Verducci uh, is reporting that the Yankees' plan B in that scenario that DJ LeMahieu goes on to greener pastures, uh, at least dollar figure-wise, that that would push them into the Francisco Lindor sweepstakes uh, to make him their number one priority. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, it was basically based around a trade involving Gleyber Torres and Clint Frazier and some other stuff. And I just don't see it. I I don't know why they would trade. I love I love Francisco Lindor. I think he's amazing. I don't know why you would trade Glaber Torres to get Francisco Lindor. Not that Francisco Lindor is better than Glaber Torres. Uh, he's also very expensive. And yes, you can. The Yankees can find money if they need to get money. They can get money to pay Francisco Lindor. While it's an upgrade, you have bigger needs to fill. Like 
you have bigger needs to fill if you're the New York Yankees than getting Francisco Lindor in there to play shortstop. It's not like you're lacking in star power, right? If we talk about some of these teams lacking star power. Aaron Judge is a star. Just keep him healthy, right? Giancarlo Stanton, when he's healthy, is a star. You have Garrett Cole. You just you have your star Luke power. Voigt. Right? Luke Voigt, sure. Like you've got him. Francisco Lindor is excellent, but is that your biggest need? I know, right? Like you pitching. Find a pitcher. You want to spend a bunch of money this offseason? Go sign Trevor Bauer. Go sign Trevor Bauer, right? You want to find something? Do that. Bring back Tanaka. Bring back some of these guys. Like, I don't see why they would want Francisco and not I said not that they don't, he wouldn't be an improvement, but it's not your biggest hole. It's it's an interesting one to, to see what they do. Uh, and ultimately you're trying to find you're trying to collect stars. Yeah. Uh, and yes, you want stars on the pitching end. There's only one available. And if you don't get Trevor Bauer, if you're going to spend money, spend it on a star. Now, I don't think uh, the one part of the rumor that I, I don't agree with is uh, they're not getting uh, Glaber Torres for him. Not for one year. The, the, if you want to look at the, the framework, what can the Indians get for him? And I'll be talking about that in the next uh, segment here. Uh, but the framework is what happened with Mookie Betts last year. You have the framework of it, like a, an Alex Verdugo. That's the young centerpiece for a one guy. There's some other minor leaguers that could become something, but really that was the main piece, and that also was to be a, a salary dump. So they, by trading off David Price and part of that contract, uh, that was what was the, the return. So Glaber Torres is worth more than Alex Verdugo. Yes. So that's too much for one year. Now, Clint Frazier uh, bringing him back to Cleveland. Uh, you have uh, from Gio Urshela to you have uh, Miguel uh, Andujar. Andujar. You have Gary Sanchez for rebound guys. You have guys that are at least there to be intrigue as well as a minor league prospect that could go along with it. There's enough pieces there to make a deal happen if they wanted to, and it wouldn't take Labor Torres, but we'll see what happens uh, with that. I don't see it happening. I think there's too many other teams that would be more aggressive, but I get where the rumor is coming from. For our last rumor, we go back to Bob Nightingale, who uh, mentions, uh, you know, we've talked about teams with a clear need and to fill that need. We talk about the Angels filling their closer position. There's another team that needs to fill their closer position, and that's the Chicago White Sox. And Bob Nightingale is reporting that the White Sox are, quote, desperately wanting Liam Hendricks. Well, to be the closer in Southside. Well, Alex Colomay is a free agent, so right now they don't have a closer. I, I think Aaron Bummer, if they stick with what they have, would be the closer. And if you're a team that's going to compete, I think Aaron Bummer is a good pitcher. I think he's a very good reliever, but that's probably not the guy you want to be your closer. And we know LaRusse is going to be old school, right? So this is not going to be a race situation where they're going to balance the bullpen. And it's he's going to want one closer who he can rely on every day to pitch the ninth inning. And Liam Hendricks is the star of the free agent market as far as relief pitchers go, you could be um, three years, 40 million is the number that we've seen thrown around a lot. And if you give him that type of money, I've said, I don't like paying relief pitchers that type of money, but Hendricks is the top reliever. Yeah, that's the, you're talking Craig Kimbrell uh, type of, of money that's been around the last couple of years for that's what has been, uh, has been done in the, in the past. So uh, the only question is, does the market get hampered? Uh, in our current economic climate, uh, it doesn't sound like it at the very top. We'll wait and see. Uh, but, yeah, if you're wanting the guy uh, to have the ninth, then you got to pony up the dough. And I don't think it's a matter of what they want to pay. I think it's a matter of Liam Hendricks needing to decide where he wants to go. Of the five, 
uh, Rio Muto to the Astros, Dodgers to Trevor Bauer to the Dodgers, um, Francisco Lindor to the Yankees, or Liam Hendricks to the White Sox. I Liam Hendricks to the White Sox is the one that I would definitely say is the most likely to happen. I would agree with that as well. Well, coming up in the second half of our, our show, as we uh, uh, each of us are going to put on our GM hats or prognosticator hats, uh, I'm going to do some wheeling and dealing. Corey's got his crystal ball. We'll talk to you about those in just a minute. We're going to sing a song, everybody. <laughs> my kind of team, Charlie. It's my kind of team. As he talks about it being his kind of team, uh, we'll lock, talk about what's my kind of team uh, for wheeling and dealing. Uh, what I'm going to do here is I have, I have five trades that I'm going to make, and I broke down even the uh, full-on prospects, what it's going to cost is going to be, and what Corey's going to get to do is does he buy or sell that trade. So let's kick off the first one. Uh, we've been talking about Francisco Lindor. You're going to on a uh, hot stove uh, podcast. Uh, and where I have Francisco Lindor going, uh, it's not the Yankees. The team, I think, is going to be more aggressive, and it's based upon their middle infielder uh, search. Uh, they've been rumored to be after DJ LeMahieu. They're looking at Justin Turner. I think they want one of these guys to go in with that young lineup, and that's to the Toronto Blue Jays. I have a trade of uh, Rowdy Telez, their DH first baseman, along with their catching prospect, Alejandro Kirk, is what I have for that trade. I think that Francisco Lindor is more likely to end up in Toronto than he is in New York. That one I will say is more likely. Uh, If I am the Indians, I want an outfielder at some point. I would love to get an outfield prospect back in return here because – uh, their outfield is real rough right about now. Last time I checked, I'm actually looking at the Blue Jays right now. Telez is very good. I love Rowdy Telez. A big power hitter it would be an excellent DH candidate for them for a long time. Alejandro Kirk is a catching prospect. I believe he's 22. He's pretty young. And, he's uh, knocking at the door yeah, right now. Yeah. He, he, could, he would probably – I'm trying to think of who they have playing catcher for the Indians. I forget what young guy. Roberto Perez? I think so. Could be. Anyways, doesn't matter. But that would make a lot of sense. Uh, if I am – Cleveland. Let me, least, let me at least break up real quick here. Okay. The uh, the reason why I, I did this mm-hmm. is I based it upon the types of moves that Cleveland has made for their veterans in the past few years. You take a look at some of their trades with uh, the San, San Diego Padres, mm-hmm. uh, you, uh, with uh, like some of the uh, oh, what's the? It's not Hunter Renfro. It's the other outfielder, Fran Mil Reyes, mm-hmm. uh, that went there. That type of uh, that type of player. They've tried to pick up that type of young veteran bat something that can add to the major league team and so looking at it I, I think I would have said Teoscar Hernandez but I think he, his ceiling went too high this past year for them to trade him and so that's where I went ended up with Rowdy Tellez. Tellez makes sense Tellez makes sense Kirk there's some talk that Kirk will even be the DH even if he with this team because uh, because of his bat because they had Danny Jansen so there's talk that Alejandro Kirk is going to be the DH on this team right now um it makes a lot of sense. If you're the Indians, I think you want one more piece. I said, if you're the Blue Jays, you, you love it, right? You just slide him into third or move Bo Bichette to third and put him at short and you flip Vlad to first. So it, I said, if I'm the Blue Jays, buy it all day. If I'm the Indians, I say one more. Like Jordan Groshans, I believe, is a third baseman in the minor leagues, really highly regarded, pretty close, and maybe you get that. Maybe you I, get an outfield see, prospect. I don't see the Blue Jays saying no to that third piece. Uh, it's just a matter of the, the Indians lining up what piece they want. Uh, and I, But I think a deal is there to be had that gives you a blend of ready-now players 
coming in in the uh, one to two seasons and like a more longer term prospect. I think we both agree that they're going to get someone to the left side of that team. Uh, later on in my crystal ball, I have one going there too. So we'll see. The second one involves uh, my uh, Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, as I see Blake Snell uh, being moved, I think that there is uh, serious uh, fire to that smoke. Uh, and I think it's just because of the value that's out there in this weird year. I think he's going to get a considerable return for the Rays. Here's the deal. Here's a guy who's had some arm durability issues more recently. He's now two years removed from a Cy Young. Uh, he improved his stock with an excellent postseason performance. This could be a, a sell-high move that if you wait a year, he may not have the same value despite having two years of team control, depending upon what happens uh, in that year. So I think this is the time to move him. The San Diego Padres have dealt with uh, arm injuries. Mike Clevenger was supposed to be that guy. Then we hear he's getting Tommy John. So Blake Snell fits that role, unless they're getting Trevor Bauer. Uh, Blake Snell fits that team. They have the farm system to get him. Here's the three guys. Francisco, is it Mejia? I was Mejia, I believe, is Mejia. I believe said. Mejia. Adrian Morion and Josh Mears. Those are the three that I put down as the trade package to nab Blake Snell. So Mejia came from the Indians a while ago, and Mejia, you may remember, he's, he's a catcher. He famously... Three years ago, four years ago, had a Brad fifty. Hand. He had a yeah, the trade hand. He got a fifty-some game hitting streak in the minor leagues. Almost beat Lou. He might have beat Lou Gehrig's hitting streak actually on the minor leagues, uh, but it's never really translated yet to the big leagues. Last year he hit 077. so it has not translated well to the big leagues. Uh, Morion is a pitching prospect, uh, starters did some relieving at the end of the year to help out. Uh, very talented young arm and a team that has prospects for days as far as pitchers go and Josh Mears is very young uh, probably could have used the minor leagues last year so I don't even think he was on the alternate squad but if I remember right, Josh Mears is basically considered like Nate Lowe uh, kind of except he plays outfield and big power so those are those would all be young players that the Rays are uh, it's hard to say that they're rebuilding after being in the World Series but they just churn their roster right that's kind of what they do is churn their roster uh I think the Rays would like that a lot. I think that the Padres maybe a little too much. Um, I think it's more likely they sign Trevor Bauer than they get Blake Snell. I, I would agree as far as the when you're at the they're so close and they need they need a big move to stay in in pace on pace with the the Dodgers. Uh, what I like about this is, number one, the Padres have catching depth mm-hmm. as a result of their uh, midseason moves this past year. They picked up Austin Nola. They have Luis Capuano. Yes, there's some legal things that they're waiting to hear about as far as that goes, but they're already too deep at catcher. Mm-hmm. May uh, still could be uh, something there. He's still very young. There's still time there. If you look back at his split stats, I think some of it was still looking pretty good. Like There is some improvement uh, that is there, not as much in the, the COVID year. But 2019 was was a step up. So if you believe that that's still there, uh, the, the Rays right now have no catcher on their 40-man roster, so they definitely need one. That's an interesting buy-low move. Uh, Adrian Moran, uh, he's got some control issues. Uh, he's like the he was one of the he was thought of the same way that Mackenzie Gore was just like two yeah. years ago. Yeah, he's but I think really that star young. has started to fade a little bit. He's only 20 years old. He's a left-handed prospect who can throw high heat. Uh, you know, there's a lot to like there, but 
uh, he could end up in the bullpen uh, at this point. It's hard to say whether or not he's a starting prospect. And then Josh Mears is a guy who's got a lot of uh, talent with the bat, but is a long ways off. Eh, I, I could see that one happening, but it depends. Again, the dominoes first with, with uh, Trevor Bauer. Yeah, if, if Bauer signs elsewhere with the Dodgers, with the Angels, they, they do. They need another pitcher, right? Mike Levenger's out. They need a pitcher. In that case, then you could see Blake Snell going to San Diego. It, it's possible. Uh, I said, I think they're going to prioritize Bauer first, though. This next one is one we've talked about on the podcast before, but it just makes so much sense. I just see it happening at some point. Chris Bryant, uh, only one year left on his uh, uh, deal with the Chicago Cubs. Uh, they need a clear salary. The Washington Nationals need uh, anything around uh, – Juan Soto, uh, and this is a uh, change of scenery move for two guys, both for Chris Bryant to the Nationals, but Carter Kaiboom to the Chicago so Cubs. Kibun was like Kibun was a top prospect for 2017, 2018, 2019. He worked his way quickly through the Nationals minor leagues and was like likely to be a star. They thought he thought he'd be another Trey Turner, and so. 2017, he hits eight homers and 296 in the minors. And the next year, 11 homers, 298. And then at AAA in 2019, 16 home runs and 303. So you think you're you're on the pros- the verge of getting greatness here. And so far, 2019, he only gets up for 11 games and he hits 128. And last year, he plays 30 games and he hits 202 in the big leagues. So for whatever reason, whether it's bad luck, and some of it's definitely bad luck, like 143 Babbitt, unbelievable. 299, though, last year, just 27% strikeout rate. It just whatever reason it didn't work out so yeah i think carter Keyboom very young uh 23 still only not going to be 24 till middle of the season or actually even yeah middle of the season excuse me even almost the end of the season and then makes a lot of sense get him out of washington get him a new start as far as chris bryant we talked about chris bryant a lot on this podcast he had a terrible year he's had a couple of bad years since he won the won the mvp award right and the cubs they want to rebuild i think they were competitive last year, but it's a very aging roster. It makes too much sense for both these teams. You, Chris Bryant maybe goes to Washington, helps out, gets them some support in that lineup, and Keyboom goes and becomes the Cubs. I think he can play shortstop. He's played third for the Nationals. He used to play shortstop, so whatever. Shortstop, third baseman, whatever they're going to do with Javi Baez of the future. It'll be interesting to see what I buy this one the most there. so far, by the way. The uh, other one that's coming up here, We've talked about before, and I wanted to bring back up because I think. What's that? That was reading number four here on your list. And sign Liam Hendricks. I have the Dodgers turning their greatest weakness into a strength, and it will not cost them a nine-figure contract to do it. Here's what I have. We've said before that if Josh Hader is going to be moved, this is the offseason to do it. Uh, With the emergence of Debbie Williams, you now have a chance to improve your roster as much as you love having baseball's best, potentially best, eighth and ninth inning combo. Uh, you have so many more needs around your team that this is the time to sell high on a reliever and get more talent overall on your roster. Josh Hader to the Dodgers has been a few years in the making. I say it happens because of the, the excess young depth that the Dodgers have. That works very well on the Brewers, Gavin Lux, and Dustin May. Here's two guys you can plug right away into your right into your team. Yes, Gavin Lux shares a position with Keston Hira. Keston Hira can slide to first base. Please. So he doesn't and have to throw the ball anymore. So you already have that part there. And then Dustin May into that rotation. Uh, young arm that has a lot of potential. You add that already to 
Woodruff and Burns, and now you are starting to form uh, a core of a rotation that can compete in the NL Central. I think it makes too much sense. Go sign one of the relievers that's not going to get big bucks and get yourself a new eighth-inning guy and uh, or one of the closers that doesn't quite go for the same price. Spend a little bit there, and you already have everything back the way that it was for, for more improved. Here's what I like about the Dodgers. I want them to do that for Josh Hader, and then that's where I want Liam Hendricks to go. Three years, $43 million, and there you have your ninth-inning guy, your eighth-inning guy, Players that are used to going more than one inning, if you need them to, that's uh, yeah, that's how you solve yeah. it right there. Yeah, yeah, that's how you solve it all, right? That's can you imagine? Oh man, what a team this could be. Anyways, the Dodgers. Okay, so Gavin Lux, uh, he's not cracking into this lineup yet. He would be up for most teams and be their starting second baseman or shortstop. He could do both. Uh, yeah, I think he'd immediately be the Brewers' opening day second baseman. And you move Keston here, and it fills first. And Keston here doesn't have to throw the ball anymore. Dustin May, we've all seen the flowing red locks that gets him so famous and the 100-mile-an-hour fastball that moves unbelievable amounts. Uh, somehow he doesn't strike out more guys. I don't know how he doesn't strike out more players than he does. And Not that he's a, not a bad at it, but 56 innings, he only strikes out 44 with that stuff. You'd expect it to be like 10 per nine, not 8 per nine, but Dustin May, an excellent pitcher, and they have a glut of one of the rare teams in Major League Baseball that actually has a glut of starting pitching. Right now, Tony Gonsolin, uh, who I think is excellent, is projected to be in the bullpen because David Price is returning. Uh, See, got, that's the key thing. There's David Price returning yeah. here means you have already what was a deep spot. You have more guys than you have spots to fill. I'll say this. I think that Josh Hader is going to move, and I think there's two teams at this point. I think it's the Dodgers, and we talked about him already with Liam Hendricks. I think it's the White Sox. The White Sox have Andrew Vaughn, the first base prospect to end all first base prospects right now, extremely highly regarded former at least fourth pick overall in the draft, very polished first baseman. The Brewers have a need at first, right? So it's either Keston Hira slides to first or you plug Andrew Vaughn at first. I do believe Josh Hader moves. I, I just, I'm not sure which one of those two teams it is now. As far as signing Liam Hendricks, if they get Josh Hader and sign Liam Hendricks, that'd be unbelievably all like um, the team that just won the world series to acquire the top two closers in the game would be Kenley Jensen now just yeah, goes to the seventh, seventh inning. inning. That'd be unbelievable. But, uh, I, I think they'll get one of them, and I think the White Sox will get the other one. That would be my prediction. We'll see how that one goes. The last trade I have for you is I'm going to preface Ooh. this by saying, because this is one that we haven't talked about. I love it. Uh, and I'm going to preface this by the different report that came out from Buster Olney today. Due to baseball's new economics, uh, executives were asked if Nolan Arenado was a free agent today, what contract would he get? And they estimated a deal that would be worth a hundred to a hundred and twenty-five million. Is what they said he would get if he was a free agent today. Do you think he gets more than Springer? Ooh, that's close. That, I, that's that's going to be pretty close, right? Yeah. Okay. But Continue. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. No, that's, that is the the point. They're like that's so. Now here's what that means. If that's what they say his present day value is. His contract is six years and $199 million. That means Colorado would have to eat at least $50 million to move him. Because they just said if he was a free agent today, this is what they would pay. So the uh, as much as he's always used as a, a candidate for logical candidate to be moved, Colorado isn't doing anything right now. They need to rebuild. His contract is too much to actually move him, and you're not even going to get anything for him. 
So he's not going anywhere. He would he needs another MVP level year to even get close to that in order for a team to, to take him on at this point. So if he's not moving and Colorado needs to do something and they're not going to get that money off their books, Trevor Story is only a year away from free agency. And here's a guy they're not going to re-sign if they still have Arenado on the books. So the New York Mets, if they don't do Francisco Lindor, uh, if even if they do or don't sign George Springer, the splash that they could make is bringing Trevor Story to New York. And here's the deal I have. They, they trade their current shortstop, Rosario. They have uh, Pete Crow Armstrong and Michael Otanas. That's who I have as the... The, the deal heading to Colorado to bring Trevor Story to the Mets. It makes a lot more sense than some of the trades we've seen him pull off over the years, I'll tell you that. All right? they, it, here's what I don't want the Mets to do. I don't want them to get burned like they did a few two years ago, right? The Edwin Diaz trade, we can all yep. talk about it. The, yep. the Seattle Mariners are loving every minute of that trade right now as Robinson Cano sits there not getting paid even because he got suspended. But do they need a shortstop? So you have Ahmed Rosario. You could talk that it's Andres Jimenez who came up at the end of last year, one of their prospects too. So one of those two is going to play shortstop for him right now. Now they're probably going to bat ninth for them in this lineup, whatever, whether or not the DH happens. If there's no DH, they're going to bat eighth. Okay. So yeah, offensively, it's a weakness. Now we said, this is a team that I think is built around. It should be built around its pitching. James Mc, or Jacob DeGrom, Marcus Stroman, Famously, a power ground ball pitcher, Marcus Stroman, ground ball pitcher. Uh, Noah Syndergaard should be back. As far as I know, Noah Syndergaard is projected to be back. And then you have Steven Matz, David Peterson, Seth Lugo, however you want to go about that, right? You have your pitching staff. Now, Trevor Story is considered a great defender. But that's – Pete Crow Armstrong was their first-round pick this past year. Uh, yep. Out of high school, almost the exact same as Jared Kalanick. Yep. And now we're tracking towards Jerry Kalanick being the top prospect in baseball or, you know, one of the top 10. Uh, Michael Atonias, I believe, is a pitcher in the very low minors, right? Correct. Yep. Correct. Okay, I thought low so. level pitching prospect. So uh, it, I understand why they would do it, right? There, there's your splash move. You want to say you're making a splash move. Trevor Story is a splash move. He's an all-star, been an all-star many times over. Excellent player. Uh, you you need some you need a agreement that he's going to resign with you, or you need to be like you said with the like Mookie Betts. You need an agreement in place basically that he is going to resign that contract because you cannot make this move for one year. Uh, we've seen that with this team, and right. that's where they end up in the problems they have. Now, you get Trevor Story in there, you move him middle of your lineup, it bumps everybody else down. You have a really long lineup then on the Mets. It's a very strong lineup uh, already. So, yeah. You could do this. You have to feel real confident that you're going to keep Trevor Story. And, Absolutely. And if I'm the Rockies, yeah, I mean, Pete Crow Armstrong could be great. Like, I, I don't, he's too far away. Michael Latonia is very far away. So it, you're, a, you're a rebuilding team. And we said, this is a team that doesn't know how to rebuild. They don't know how to rebuild. We have, Correct. from everything we've seen, they can't do it well. Now, it makes sense. Uh, I don't know if it'll happen. I would say it's one of the better trades I've seen that the Mets would have made. I'll say that. Buy it. If if I'm the Mets, sure, I do this, I guess. If, if I think I can win I, right now. If I have the money, yeah. let's say like I'm re-signing him, or this is not mm-hmm. just a one thing, I'm re-signing him. I do this. Yeah. If I'm the Rockies, who knows what they ever think, uh, but it would make sense to them. 
So we'll see what happens as, uh, again, trades uh, look for January to see where the moves mm-hmm. are happening. But as far as moves are happening, we're now going to shift to uh, to Corey's crystal ball, who's going to give us his top five predictions, and I will buy or sell uh, these moves as we uh, go through them. So I try to go with guys that we haven't talked about. Uh, all free agents. I didn't go with any trades in this case. I tried to go with free agents that we have not talked super much about, whether it was a rumor or already being moved. So... We've mentioned his name a few times, but we got to talk George Springer, right? He's the big name that's still on the market. We've, we talked JT Ramuto, which is Rio Muto and Springer. There is a splash move coming. With the New York Mets keep coming up over and over again. Now, their outfield currently consists of Brandon Nimmo in center, Michael Conforto in right, Dom Smith in left. Dom Smith could play first, but you have Pete Alonzo there. Uh, DH if there is DH one. DH if there is one, right? So it's a very good outfield already, but... If you want to make a splash, like we've heard, like you want to make a splash, I think the easiest way is we just saved a lot of money on James McCann, right? We didn't pay JT Ramuto because we have the money. We didn't spend that much. We saved some money there. You put it George George Springer and say, look, here's four years, $125 million, five years, $125 million, whatever it is, somewhere's in there, and say, come play center field for us. We know you can do it at a high level. That's my prediction for him. And I buy that one completely. This is a move that needed to happen yesterday. Uh, five one twenty five. Uh, if you need to make some sort of six year uh, playing time uh, based incentive option uh, for that, you can find a way to get it done. Uh, center field it fills a role. Brandon Nimmo is is a solid player, but he's mm-hmm. out. He's kind of cast miscast as a center fielder. Uh, George Springer fills that again. If you're going to spend money, spend it on a premium position, whether it's catcher, whether it's center field. These are some of the spots that you look at here. So George Springer makes a ton of sense. I think that's their splash move. And keep in mind here for the Mets, and this does need to be stated, uh, if you have 20 to $25 million that was slotted for Robinson Cano this year, that's now off the books. Uh-huh. You're not paying him. So that means as far as Trevor May and as far as James McCann goes, when you, when you cut out the, uh, the $20 million bucks that you've now found clipped a coupon for for the non-Robinson Cano contract for the entire life of what they've paid. You're talking, what, about $20 million is all they've spent this year. You have money. That was, that was couch cushion money that you didn't even know you were going to have, and you said you were going to spend on top of it. This is a slam dunk move that needs to happen. I think we both agree there. So my second prediction, uh, the other guy we haven't really talked about today, uh, Marcel Azuna. So famously starts his career with the Marlins, that team that was stacked, and, you know, Yelich, Stanton, Rio Muto, and then they disband it, and he goes to the St. Louis Cardinals and puts together two more positive seasons, 2.8, 2.5 war after positive seasons every year with the Mets. And then last year there just wasn't the market for him that we thought there'd be, and he was one of the last people to sign his offseason contract last year. And it took that one-year bet-on-himself contract. We talked about it with the Braves and played DH. Having never played DH before, played DH all year and played all 60 games and Tore the truly was competing the for – at times he was competing to be the MVP. The MVP ended up being on his team. But there was times when he was playing every bit as good as Freddie Freeman. 18 home runs, 56 RBIs, highest walk rate of his career, uh, 338 average, now 391 BABIP. So a little lucky, right? You're not going to do that every year. But extremely high exit velocity. Played incredible. So he's a free agent now. Bet on himself. Gonna gonna cash in the bank. We I think we both believe he's going to make some serious money for himself this offseason. I'm predicting the Houston Astros here. I think we know that the Astros now have a glut as far as 
They need some offense, right? I talked about, was it Miles Straw and somebody else I never heard of that was playing outfield for them? He's played outfield. Now, he's not a particularly great outfielder. That's why they put him at DH. But guess what? Michael Brantley played DH. Now, I said, Jordan Alvarez is slotted to play DH, and you're probably not taking that bad out of the lineup. So he can play outfield, and I think he's going to go to Houston like four years 85-ish, maybe? Somewhere's in there? I just wrote down 472. I think that's probably the floor. Okay. Uh, And I think 485 is probably getting after, depending upon how many teams you're competing with, uh, I think that's all well within range. Uh, So this one makes a ton of sense. If Springer is gone, if Brantley is gone, uh, you can hide his defense and left. Uh, Teams have been doing this for years. You're always going to have at least one defensive eh, type of player He's not so atrocious that he can't be out there. No. Uh, now, again, I think over the course of that time, you're in a, you could see him at uh, DH by the end of that contract. But again, you can't prognosticate everything clear-cut right out of the gate. Deal with it in year three and four when you have to. Right now, he's the perfect guy to slot in into that offense. He's got a, a quirky personality that I think also fits well with this clubhouse uh, as far as a little bit abrasive towards uh, other teams. A bit of a chip on his shoulder. World. Yeah, I think he fits here very well, so I, I'm buying this move. Nice. I'm happy to hear that we're simpatico on some of these. So let's go to the other Astro. We haven't really talked about him too much. Michael Brantley, he's a free agent, right? Played DH most of last year. Uh, played it very well. He's played very well as Basically, his whole career since he's finally got a chance. He was a little bit of a late bloomer, but Brantley is 33 now. And so we've talked about the Blue Jays a lot, right? We think they have some needs. We think they're a very young, competitive team, but veteran presence, right? You DH type of thing. I think Brantley goes to Toronto. Uh, I'll say two years because he's older. So I'll say like two years, 24, 25, somewhere in that type of range, I think would make a lot of sense. You put him in the at Toronto Blue Jays lineup and it's not only, it's a veteran presence, right? Just get him a veteran presence on those baby Blue Jays. And then, you know, what he's, what's he always been good at? Getting on base. The on base percentages are so solid throughout his career. He's been above 350 every year since 2017. So as he gets older, maybe the bat slows down, but still draws walks. Well, let's look at what the Blue Jays have been after. They've been linked to Lindor. Uh, they've been linked to Justin Turner and to DJ LeMayhew. So obviously all infielders, but uh, veteran bats that are experienced, uh, that can do very well. Like they're, You add guys that can uh, help out the young guys, the veteran presence. And now let's say you strike out on these three. Again, Turner very well. Turner and LeMayhew are... If you put betting odds on things, they're more likely to resign with their former teams than they are to switch locations. Lindor, that's going to be a hard one to get from the beginning. So if you miss out on these three, uh, Michael Brantley checks off all of the boxes from being that veteran presence in the middle of the lineup, and he fits like Kevon Biggio to a T as far as pesky, as far as uh, competitive at-bats, a guy who can uh, help you uh, get on base. Uh, he makes total sense there. So I think if they don't get one of the big-name guys they're after, I think he fits in very well with the Blue Jays. Like we said, they're at, right now their DH is basically projected to be, Alejandro, we mentioned Alejandro Kirk, right? So, yeah, very young, could be very talented, but 22 years old, DH on a team that's you're expecting to compete against the Yankees and the Rays, uh, that's asking a lot. The only one I could see them going for instead, and that's if he's willing to move, and I could see them paying the money to see because this fits Toronto's history over time. 
you need a DH. The best one in the game is available as a free agent too. Nelson Cruz. Yeah, we haven't mentioned. A ton of sense we don't even mention him because I just assume that, that he's team. going back to the Twins. But yeah, that'd be awesome. He's, fit. He wants highest bidder. That'd be awesome. Whoever's going to give him the two-year deal, you give him a yeah. two-year, thirty-two million dollar contract. He'll put on whatever uniform you tell him to. That'd be uh, an and, incredible fit. And that one makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it's a gamble, but it's yeah. essentially next year should be good. At worst, you're you're coughing up one year and fifteen million. As far as long term risk goes, that's not much in the grand scheme of things. Maybe you could teach Vlad Jr. how to lift the ball in the air. <laughs> He's gonna be. He would fit that also with the uh, with his background and ethnicity. He also fits oh, yeah. that clubhouse oh, yeah. extremely good well. One. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a dark horse candidate for Nelson Cruz that, that has not been mentioned. If you look throughout the, the rumors, Nelson that, Cruz has not been mentioned. Everyone just assumes he's going back to Minnesota because they're going to find a way. But yeah, that would be fun one for him. He's got to yeah. find an AL team right at this point because we're not sure about the DH next year, which is a whole other story. But yep. let's keep going here. The Yankees. Uh, we had a couple of pitchers. I'm cheated and threw two together on you. So we know Masahiro Tanaka and James Paxton are both free agents. I think they're going to keep one of them. I don't think they're going to keep them both. Uh, they just they have other needs, and I, while they need pitching, I think they can sort of fill from within a little bit here. But uh, Tanaka has been in, you know, they've sent him to that huge, I think it was seven years and $155 million contract when he came over from Japan. And while he's been reliable uh, innings a year, he, he's given up too many home runs over his career, I think. That's kind of what keeps the ERA a little inflated to at least to reach what was probably expected of him to be, you know, Garrett Cole. He's more of a number two, number three pitcher. And James Paxton, he's come over in the trade, and while he pitches, you, you see it all. It's tantalizing, right? 97 miles an hour with the heater, wipeout slider. It, you can see the, the potential from that left side with James McCann. When he's on the mound. Yeah, when he's on the mound. And that's the team, That's always the Yankees right now, right? They're all so injury prone. So as far as these two, I think Tanaka is going to be brought back. Uh, you have your ace, right? They have Garrett Cole. They know what their ace is. That's, you've paid him to be your ace, and you better believe he's your ace. And Masahiro Tanaka slots in number two, number three, somewhere in that type of spot, and three years, $40 million type of thing this time, and he gives you, you know, 30 solid starts you hope for. James Paxton is a little different. I don't think they're going to pay James Paxton the type of money that he's going to want. And it's a reclamation project right now with tantalizing potential. So James McCann, kind of a bristly fellow, if you've ever seen him talk. He, he, he goes out of his Paxton. way to let – What? Paxton. What did I say? McCann? Sorry. James Paxton. We're, we're all on the, the, the White Sox new catcher. I know, right? James Paxton, a little a bit of a bristly catcher. fellow. And so uh, I think he's going to rile it up. And we know there's a team in the American League East that needs pitching badly. Uh, they have Chris Sale and they have Eduardo Rodriguez, and they're both hurt or coming off injuries. So why not add a third injured James? Uh, hey, issue? And, so you got to try some, right. some chances here. Yeah. So I'm going to say James McCann, one-year deal, Boston Red Sox. I love the idea of that, and I'm sure any Red Sox fan loves the idea of it because Paxton does have high-end potential for the, the, for the Yankees to trade uh, Justice Sheffield for him and who's now slotting into that, uh, that lineup over with the Seattle Mariners into that rotation uh, and looking good. For Paxton to go to the Red Sox and pitch well Schadenfreude is the biggest <laughs> thing you have going for you there, and there's, I I love the idea of it, uh, and I could very much see them doing that. I think of the two, Tanaka is the one that's most likely to go back to uh, the Yankees because you need guys to fill uh, fill starts. 
And I think he's the one most likely to be able to do that and provide you with innings. So I, I agree with that. I would buy that. I think Tanaka is going to be the one that gets more suitors. I think there's a lot yep. of teams that yep. just want, like if you'd have told me the Braves went out and tried to get Masahiro Tanaka before they had a hole, I would have said that's a great fit. Like there's pitchers, there's teams that just want guys to eat innings for them. The White Sox would make a lot of sense. When you so, have a, dyna- a dynamic offense, you just need guys to give you innings. The offense is going to pick you up. If you give up four or five runs that, that game, not a problem. Our guys can get five or six runs uh, offensively. We just need someone to cover those six innings, and then we'll get to our dynamic bullpen and, and lock it down. So he makes he's more valuable to the Yankees than he is on maybe a lot of other teams. That's probably true. And Paxton makes a lot of sense in Boston. So last one, again, I cheated on you, and I just lumped three guys that we have not really talked about because they all play the same position together. Uh, let's start with Marcus Simeon. These are, are all going to play shortstops. Uh, two years ago, almost won the American League MVP award. I think he finished fourth. doesn't matter, but he was excellent. And last year, the A's, while they won the American League West, uh, Marcus Simeon did not contribute to what we all expected him to be. Now, he's been a little up and down throughout his career. Some of the White Sox years were a little rough, and then he's kind of figured it out out in Oakland and put together a nice career out there. So he's a free agent this year, and I think he's going to be another guy kind of like Marcelo Zuna last year where he's going to bet on himself and take a probably a one-year deal and see if he can rebound a little bit and I think he's just going to do it with Oakland one-year deal re-signing with Oakland I think you need to run it back uh, because right now we don't know who Marcus Simeon is we've had two pictures in the past two years and is it in the middle is it closer to one or the other I think a one-year pillow contract just a chance to and, and a place where you're comfortable uh, a chance to see what happens over a full 162-game season. Now, the only danger is next year is the year of the shortstop as far as free agency goes. Uh, there you have Trevor Story. You have Francisco Lindor. Now, some of these guys might get re-signed or different contracts before that happens. Uh, but Corey Seager, uh, you have uh, Carlos Correa. Like, there's a lot of guys where that's going to be a tough market. So maybe you don't want a one-year deal. Maybe you can give, convince someone to give you a, a little bit more. Uh, he's going to be another one of those interesting contracts to follow because I don't know if a one-year deal, as much as that would normally make sense, mm-hmm. because of the competition next year, it doesn't fit. That's true. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Uh, another shortstop, though, as we keep going through these shortstops, D.D. Gregorius. So he... I believe he signed a one-year deal last year to play with the Phillies after being with the Yankees those years. So played all 60 games, which was – that was a big question about him was where was the health at? Because I think it was Tommy John surgery he had, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Yep. And the health was there, played all 60 games, 10 home runs, 40 RBIs, hit 284. So a very good year. And a guy that used to be kind of thought of as a defensive first guy has transitioned over the years. And while he still plays solid defense, very strong bat as well in the lineup. Uh, Didi Gregorius, I thought that – it makes a lot of sense. He could go back to the Reds where he started his career. Or how about the Miami Marlins? Uh, young team really starting to work their way up, and I think that would make some sense too. Not someone that he has been connected to as far as I'm aware, but fits the types of moves that the Marlins have made in the last 12-plus uh, months here. Uh, he feels like another Starling Marte. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just feels like another solid guy. He's not going to be super expensive. But I think he's going to be very effective. I think this actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, and uh, as the Marlins are going to be very strategic in the money they spend, I think this one uh, makes a ton of sense for a team that's on its way up. 
Last shortstop here is he's the mystery box. It's Hasian Kim. He's the mystery box because you have to know what you're getting with it. Is he is the skill set going to translate from the Korean League to baseball? Now you're getting what a skill set we've seen so far, right? So he hits 314 with a 405 on base percentage, 30 home runs and 21 steals last season. Now usually when Korean players come over, they're past their prime, in their prime, maybe at the very end of it. Uh, I believe Hasian Kim's 26, so. If, early in his prime like you could get four or five prime years out of him now here's the one that i think goes to the blue jays he's been reported to be eating dinners with one of the other korean superstars hyunjin ryu they have gotten together a few times over in korea and have had dinner together now does it make sense we know they want a shortstop right we've said francisco lindor you move him at short you don't know what you're gonna get hasian kim could be amazing we haven't seen shortstops translate over I think, once again, the Blue Jays make a lot of sense. Or he's basically said he's willing to take money. He doesn't have a geographic location. The Marlins are a young team, too, again, right? The Marlins make a lot of sense there again, too. So he's the one of the hardest ones to predict. But I'm going to say Blue Jays or Marlins again. For him, I'm, I'm intrigued. I, I His skill set matches what the Blue Jays have been doing on offense. It's Kevin Biggio. You just said it, it, right? It's, it's Bo Bichette. It's the same thing. So he the skill set fits... I didn't think that he fit the uh, the philosophy of what they were wanting to do this offseason of getting a veteran uh, added in here. So that's where my first pause was until you revealed uh, the connection that's already there with Ryu. And the front office will very much be asking him, do you think he personality-wise, they're going to have more more better than a scout uh, they're going to have a better a friendship, better understanding of will he fit here as he deals with the transition to the majors, which is always a challenge. And then when you're that far away from home, it's got to be the right fit. And I think the Blue Jays, based off what you're saying there with that, can provide that. And that, that intrigues me overall to where I can see a fit because rather than getting a veteran, here's another young up-and-comer that fits with our nucleus, and that works in that capacity as well. So I think there are... I don't think they're the, the first team that comes to mind for him, but they might be the best fit for him, and I, I'm very intrigued by that. We'll see. Next couple of weeks here, hopefully we have some, some of these things to report on. So we will, uh, as we get into, what do you think, one more before the, the holidays, or do we wait until after the holidays? What do you think? We can do here? one next week. We can do one next week, yeah. Then we'll have Yay. one more uh, uh, as the uh, – a cat emerges to uh, join the, the podcast here and uh, messes with Corey's computer. But That's we will okay. have one more podcast before the, the close of the year. Our plan will be to have uh, one next week's, and then we'll take Breaking the, news. The Cleveland Indians are no oh, longer yes. the Cleveland Indians. Excuse me. I should say the Cleveland. Almost forgot that. The Cleveland baseball team. I don't know. Maybe that's the plan here. So All we, we know is it's not the name Indians. change that is taking place in, in Cleveland that just came out uh, right before we started our podcast. And we'll have more information on that uh, coming soon, whether it's going to be a replacement team or whether it's going to be like another Washington uh, football team, the Cleveland baseball team. Who knows what we got going on here, but we'll keep you apprised in the coming week. And my uh, voice has at least squeaked its way through. Pretty good. I'm impressed uh, how well you did. We'll uh, we'll go with it. So have a great great rest of your day, week uh, here, and we will look forward to talking uh, baseball uh, in the next podcast. Thank you.